Good morning. It is 9 a.m. on uh, on Friday. Yes, I just looked at the clock to confirm that it is 9 a.m.-ish on Friday. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the psalm that is connected with this weekend's worship service found in the lectionary. It is Psalm 91, and what an appropriate psalm it is, especially for the time that we're living in. Uh, as a matter of fact, when uh, when this whole thing first got started with the virus and uh, the lockdown, the very psalm that came to mind over and over and over again, and that I actually ended up quoting and referencing uh, to uh, both of the churches I serve that first weekend that we gathered online was indeed this psalm, because so much of it is applicable to our time. And so uh, without further ado, let me read to you the psalm, and I think you'll see why. It is such a comfort. It begins like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Now let me just stop there because I want to point something out to you from the very beginning of this psalm. The psalmist takes himself in this scenario in contrast to God and pictures himself as something akin to a baby chick in the nest of his mother or his father bird. From the very beginning, you can hear the allusions to the imagery. When he talks about dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and in the shadow of the Almighty, the shadow is, of course, the shadow of the wings that will cover the nest and will cover the various chickadees. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then he actually goes to the very, I mean, it's not even subtle anymore. It says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Well, what does a fowler do? A fowler is someone who hunts birds and from the deadly pestilence, something that birds constantly have to deal with. All of this, all of the comfort the psalmist finds is found under the wings of the Almighty. Now, of course, we know this imagery is also used by Jesus, right? What does he say to Jerusalem as he is getting ready to face the cross and yet still reaches out to them saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing it is the will of the Father to protect his creation. It is the will of the Father to protect you. It is the will of the Father to have you shelter under his wings. The problem with us is that we think we don't need such shelter. We think that we don't need such protection. And we don't like the, you know, the strictures and restrictions of being under such wings. We want to be independent. We want to fly on our own. We want to do everything to prove our uh, inability or our unnecessary need for dependence upon God. 
And yet, as I've said many times, and I will continue to say until my dying breath, growth in the Christian life is never one of dependence to independence. It is one of independence to greater dependence. It's the opposite of what we do in our normal everyday lives as human beings. We, uh, the goal of parenting is eventually to raise children up so that they can be independent and they can take care of themselves. It is not the goal of our relationship with God. Our natural problem is our independence. We love the phrase, even if we don't say it this way anymore, I can do it myself. But when you're hiding under the shelter of the wings of the Almighty, you are acknowledging you cannot do it yourself. That is the first and continuing step in the Christian life. Every day when we come to God in repentance and acknowledge our flaws and our sins and our failures and ask for forgiveness, what are we saying? I can't do it myself. I need you. I need grace. I need mercy every day. I need you every hour. Please hide me under your wings. I've shared this before as well. There is a, um, I, I've seen a picture uh, that really struck me years ago that relates to this imagery. Uh, I was, there was, of course, I grew up in Southern California and Southern California has, you know, like out here we have, you know, winter, spring, uh, winter, summer, you know, winter, fall, summer, spring, you know, all the seasons in California. We have fire season and um, fire season is just kind of a thing because it gets so dry out there. And one time after a major fire had gone through a forest, some firemen, of course, were sent in to clean up the debris. And uh, one of the firemen came across this black sort of lump on the ground and it looked like it, it looked like a bird, and sure enough, as he got closer, he realized it was uh, a bird that had been completely charred by the fire. And he kicked the bird, uh, and as soon as he did so, he saw a bunch of little chicks scurry out from underneath the bird. And it was clear that the mother bird had been sitting atop her babies to protect them from the flames, and indeed she did that. And indeed, God does that for you through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the imagery changes to really kind of being on the battlefield. The psalmist writes, verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Now I think the first thing that comes to my mind when I read this is, well, that's not always true. I mean, first of all, the imagery is a thousand may fall at your side. It's like everyone around you, all of your allies may even fall, but you'll be protected from it. You'll be protected if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Well, in reality, that's not entirely in line with the rest of the biblical picture. Jesus promises we're going to face tribulation. Jesus promises that we're going to have hardship, that there's going to be struggle in this life and strife. So what does this psalmist really mean when he says nothing can touch you you know you you're going to see the judgment of all them but you're nothing's going to be able to touch you well i think there's two ways to understand this one is i think this can be very specific to a particular person at a particular time when the psalmist wrote it but i also think that this is ultimately 
uh, true when we arrive in the kingdom of God, when we arrive in the kingdom of heaven. That In fact, it will one, be, one day be true that we will not be afflicted anymore, that we will not face the pain anymore, that we will not be subject to the enemy's fiery darts in our direction. It just won't be that way anymore. Yes, in this life, we still may have trouble, and we will, but in the life to come, we are guaranteed we won't. We will always be dwelling under the shelter of the Most High, and he will forever be our fortress and our refuge so that we might never fall again. The psalmist goes on, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. It is true one day for you. You know, all of us are going to face death. It's a guarantee. Either Jesus is coming back and taking us, or we die. There's no, no other options for Christians. And yet, we never really succumb to death. As the Apostle Paul regards it, it's a brief temporary sleep. And we wake up in the presence of the kingdom of God, never to be beset by the sin and plague that besets this world. And why is that? Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. This is, by the way, where uh, people have traditionally gotten the idea of a guardian angel. So, you know, I think sometimes Protestants in sort of the rebellion against, you know, the Catholic teaching on angels, which is very developed and very intricate and, and sometimes extra biblical, you know, in their understanding of things, have gone too far and just been like, no, none of that's true. Well, some of it is true. I mean, there is this, there is this reality here that God says there are angels that at least will guard us. Does that mean each of us has a specific guardian angel? Well, that's not as clear. But what is clear is that God has said to those who are under his wings, that dwell in his uh, shelter and refuge, that indeed his angels are commanded to guard us. And what are they guarding us for? So that we might make it all the way to the kingdom, that we might be given endurance, that they might carry us all the way home. So it's not, not simply Jesus interceding for us. And it's not just the Holy Spirit dwelling with us and interceding for us, but also God cares about you so much that he sent his angels to guard you, to keep you, to preserve you so that you would make it to the last day. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. By the way, if you want to know how I got to earlier saying this is really a picture of what heaven is like, this is clearly what theologians call eschatological uh, writing, eschatological or end times writing, because this is the picture you're given in Isaiah. This is the picture you're given throughout the scriptures that, that the things that threaten us the most in this life, one day will be no threat at all. And here he uses the example of treading on lions and adders, the serpent you will trample underfoot. By the way, the word for adder there, probably in Hebrew more accurately, is cobra. So it, it, the most dangerous things that you face in this life, a lion or a cobra, will be nothing to us in the, in the kingdom of God. The worst plague that can come upon us will be nothing in the kingdom of God. 
Now we switch. The last couple verses of this psalm, God begins to speak. God begins to address us. Before, at the very beginning, it was the psalmist saying, this is my hope. And then he went on to say, this is your hope now. If you, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, this is your hope. And now it's God's voice speaking. He says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. What is the name of God? Who is the name that you call upon? Whose name will the entire universe bow down to and give glory to in the end? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Philippians 2. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. I love the idea of when he calls to me, I will answer him. And here's why I love it. I have three boys. And throughout all of the day long, especially over the last few months in Rona world, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time at home. Do you know how often me or uh, mama is called all day long? And from all parts of the house, dad, mom. It can be to complain about something their brother's doing to annoy them. It can be because they're looking for something that they've lost and they can't find it. And they assume, of course, that me or mom know where all the things are that they lost. It can be for a thousand reasons. And you know what? I got to be honest. There's sometimes where I just don't want to respond. <laughs> Is that wrong? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to look for your thing. <laughs> Leave me alone. Give me some space. That never happens with God. I, I will fall short of this as a father. Your heavenly father never does. You call out to him. He hears every single time. Every single time. And he doesn't get annoyed by it. He doesn't get irritated by it. He doesn't lose patience with you because of it. That's the promise of God's word here. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. You better believe with long life, how long that life going on? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And why? Because he will show us his salvation. And he already has. He's shown it to us through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shows it to us every time we gather to worship he reminds us through the mouth of a preacher, all too often inadequate to the task, to tell you that, yes, your salvation has been won for you by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that is what we'll, that we'll continually celebrate when we arrive in the kingdom of God one day after this life ends, when renewal finally takes place and resurrection is the word of the day every day. All right, I hope that that brings you comfort. There's not a lick of discomfort throughout this whole psalm. Like, you know, sometimes a lot of the psalms you have like at least a few verses where it's like, all, ah, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth and everything's hard. And then at the end, it's like, oh, but you're good still. This one the whole time is just like, you're so good and you treat me good and you shelter me under your wings. And that's where my hope is found. And that is indeed where our hope is found. So... All right, gang, God bless you. Thanks for joining me today and join us for worship on Sunday.